Well, thank you all for inviting me up here today. He talks about Moses. <clears throat> I was just talking to one of the ladies, I don't know the lady's name, but this morning before service, <clears throat> I asked her how old she was. And that's, that's, that's being bold for a man, you know, to ask a woman. That. <laughs> and she was gracious, though, and she says, well, she gave me her age. I won't mention it. And then I told her, well, I just turned 90 this year. So I'm still, the fire's still in the heart, folks. But my eye is dimming, <laughs> and I have to go to a large print Bible now, and I never thought I'd ever need that. <laughs> anyway, but I do thank you for inviting me up here. This is a subject that has uh, touched my heart, and just like that last hymn that we sang, I Surrender All. I can't imagine, when I was 34, 35, when I was a young guy, I, didn't, I couldn't uh, sing that hymn anymore because I knew the Holy Spirit was trying to show me something, and that something was that I wasn't giving it all to the Lord. And uh, I struggled with that for a long time. And long, for many years, I couldn't even sing that hymn. It just bothered me to sing it. But I don't, now I sing it, and I say, well, there's still more, Lord. And I don't know what that more is going to be, but you know what you're doing, and I'm just going along for the ride. <laughs> and, that's, that's, and that ride is faith. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. Regardless, regardless of what happens to us, faith overrules everything. It must, otherwise we are hopeless people. So, I want, I want to begin by reading Jeremiah passage. The other two I'll just refer to as uh, we go through the message. But this, this passage in, Je in Jeremiah 23, verses 23 through 29 and this is the Lord speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking to Jeremiah, and he's writing down what the Lord's telling him. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not fill heaven and earth. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name. <laughs> through Baal worship. Ah. There's a lot of food for thought in that comment. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully for what has straw to do with grain. <laughs> declares the Lord. Is not my word the fire, declares the Lord? And like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces. God's word is powerful. I think all of us are aware of that. We just don't take the time sometime to allow the power of that word to penetrate into our lives like we should. But that's the human nature. That's the weak flesh that we all deal with. So let me just begin here. Uh, I'd like, this morning, I'd like to draw our attention to a biblical proposition. And it's a proposition that God puts forth. Or you might call it a principle. 
but I like to use the word proposition because God is always dealing with us no matter where we are in life, whether we're three years old, 30 years old, or 90 years old. He's still dealing with us and trying to draw us closer to that intimate, deeper understanding of what he wants for us individually. And so that's the challenge that's before us. But anyway, uh, th- this word is a word that uh, dispels fear. It impels purpose. And it compels action. And that action is what we all need to take if we're going to be faithful and we surrender all. It's simple, but it's tough. (laughs) It's hard (laughs) because of the human element. Okay. Uh, Okay. But if we have a full-fledged confidence in the fact that God is who he says he is, his son Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and the Holy Spirit of God does the work he maintains he does in the word, then that can happen. Our only problem is we have to believe it, believe it, not just give it mental assent, but believe it, let it minister to our whole being. All right. So as we uh, unfold these passages today, God's Word will arrive at this truth for us. We need that truth in this day and age. And some of the things I'll unveil, you'll you'll understand why I made that statement. We need that truth in this day and age. I'm well aware that through the average person's life, we all run across those things that, that come our way that really challenge our faith walk. And it's easy for us Christians to say, well, I believe. We give it that mental assent and, we, and our hearts are partly there, but we're not completely, totally convinced that when the crisis comes, it's going to be okay. The Lord will work it through for us. And so we, we develop anxieties and, and we worry. I don't even like that word, worry. That's a bad word for a Christian. But uh, being concerned, yes, definitely. But worry, what does worry do? It kills faith. And that's why I don't like that word. You can think about that. (laughs) So Christians especially deal with the idea that uh, because somehow we develop the opinion that because we at least make some mental assent to the fact that faith is real in our lives, that our Lord should somehow favor us because we are His people. And we're going to see as we go through this, that's not necessarily true. He does pour out His grace upon us. But He doesn't always favor every situation for us. We get caught up in the situations that envelop us and many other people as well. So we're looking at this So our Lord should favor us with passing us by all the sticky, difficult problems and issues and circumstances that come along. They happen. So some of these are potentially life-changing for people. If your faith wavers, 
It can change your life. So let us dig into God's Word here. I want to just uh, look at uh, a little background on Jeremiah first. And then we'll, we'll see what he's up to. Be- Jeremiah was a Benjamite from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, there was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. They were in the southern kingdom. And uh, by the way, he was the son of a priest. So he knew all about uh, what the priests were, t- were teaching. And he knew that idolatry, especially was wrong. And that's the big problem, this whole idea of idolatry. And so he says, uh, uh, he's, I was reading through some of the major passages of Jeremiah that deal with the issues that he'd struggled with. And he was persecuted by his family. Even his father, who was a priest, seems to kind of dampen him down. Don't get too excited, son. This is not that big an issue. We just have to live with it. And he didn't like that presentation. So his family even persecuted him, his relatives and the tribe. And he had to finally leave his town in Benjamin. And so he moves himself up to Jerusalem. We have to remember here now that the northern kingdom had already been in captivity over 100 years. And, And all the nations around were all idolatrous nations. And this idolatrous world was influencing the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, and finally they succumbed to it. And they were influenced by all their neighbors. And so Jeremiah leaves home and goes to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he continues his little talk, preaching on idolatrous living. And so we find him there... (laughs) I was going through the, the, reading that through. He wrote nine prophecies against nine nations. And then he finally wrote one against the southern kingdom, the place where he lived. And that's where he got himself into really big trouble. And so that, that then developed into uh, him being persecuted. He took him to court. He found him guilty of upsetting the people. And uh, they put him in stocks. That wasn't enough. He preached in stocks. And so they, then they took him out of the stocks. They threw him down in a deep, muddy well to shut him up. And that, was the, that, was it. that was their plan, stop him. Well, that didn't stop him either because he did get out of that well. <clears throat> we don't know when he got out of the well, uh, but he got out of there. <laughs> so here, here we are in chapter 23. What is the problem? Uh, as you read through this, you'll see that he riles against this whole idea of uh, the Jews, the Jew, people of Judah, listening to these prophets of Judah, lying and deceiving the people with all their fine-sounding words. We've had dreams, and everything's going to be fine. The world is going to go on better than it was before, and we are incre- improving everything in the world. Some of you may know a little bit about theology, but... In the 19th century, there was a doctrinal uh, millennial position called post-millennial where the world was getting better and better and better. Everybody was improving. Then we hit the 20th century. <laughs> How many wars we you get involved in the 20th century? Four? Five? Then we had a Great Depression. Then we had a recession. The world is not getting better. The Christian world is improving. 
but the Christian world is not keeping pace with the cultural world. And that's why, where, where we are at as Christians in this day and age. And so, let's, uh, as I go on here. Anyway, they were saying, well, things are going to be fine. Just don't listen to this radical person, Jeremiah. He believes in God, and that God he believes in is harsh and cruel and tough and, and not wanting to be for the people. We are for the people. We're giving you the good news. As they saw it, it was not God's good news, of course. So Jeremiah says that Jehovah is that one who sees all and hears all when, and we know, he is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. That's who our God is. And so is his son, Jesus Christ. And so is his spirit, the Holy Spirit. They're all three in one. And so we have this, he says to the people, well, hear Jehovah's words. Jehovah says he detests your idolatrous ways. And so that is not going to take place. The idolatrous ways in God's eyes for God's people must end. So due to Jeremiah's continually proclaiming this prophetic word to the southern kingdom that it will be destroyed, he is rejected by the princes and the people of the area. Totally rejected. But he keeps preaching anyhow. And when, one of the things we understand about this and we read it through carefully, truth causes division. That's something we need to anchor our minds on. Truth causes division. In, in, in our family situation, sometimes mom or dad or, or a sibling will say the truth and the other one won't necessarily accept it. And then there's a little offish. little offishness takes place. And the division takes place. That's not what the other wanted to hear. And so, we, we see that as we read through Jeremiah, we see he believed Jehovah God totally. And he believed that Jehovah God would meet all his needs. Well, and Jehovah God did meet his needs. But Jehovah God met his needs first. What he wanted to do with the people what he tried to convince the people that they needed to do. Drop all this idolatry living. And so that's the, that's, the, that's the background, the basis. Well, you probably, those of you who study the, the time frames in biblical history, you know that in 586, that uh, Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar came down and conquered Judah and Benjamin and Jerusalem and t took that whole land sacked the area and destroyed all the other towns. And prior to that, in 600 uh, B.C., that's when uh, Jeremiah had gone to Jerusalem to preach. So he was preaching and writing these nine prophecies over 14 years. This didn't just happen over a couple of years. This is something that happened over 14 years. So all of this persecution and uh, distrust of, of Jeremiah was a long term. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I can handle uh, people 
not liking me for a while, but for 14 years? I know. Think about that. That's not easy to take. And so what kept Jeremiah going? His faith in Jehovah. That Jehovah was speaking to him and leading him all along the way. And he needed to have that. Otherwise, he would not have survived being Jehovah's spokesperson and his prophet. All right. So this this takes place. And the surviving authorities of these wrecked cities in Jerusalem finally took Jeremiah into captivity and he went on down to Egypt. Well, we don't hear much. We don't hear anything of Jeremiah after that. But what did Jeremiah do? He did what the Lord God had called him to do for that 14 years. And sometimes ministries, you know, they don't last forever in any given ministry. God has a purpose for that ministry and the ministry continues and then it can end. And so that's, that's, but what is happening meanwhile? Faith is working through Jeremiah and convincing the people they're on the wrong track. And so we have that, that issue that we're looking at here. So regardless, you see, in Jeremiah's life, while the end of Jeremiah, <coughs> pardon me, seems to just disappear from the scene of the world. He did what God called him to do for that time frame that God gave him and that word that, that Jehovah gave, gave him to minister. It's just a fascinating study uh, of a person's life. I don't know, maybe some of you uh, folks have had to do certain things in your family's life or on your farms or in your jobs where, where uh, it was set aside for you to handle this situation and see it all the way through. And when you did that, you were really listening to the Lord. The Lord was leading you in that. And you handled it well. Because you were operating in the faith that the Holy Spirit had laid upon you to do and act in this way. And you were compelled then by the Spirit of God to do that. And I understand that this, this whole idea of a proposition of this nature is difficult because I've struggled with the thing myself. But faith must be that which overcomes it or otherwise our faith is not really being practiced. We're not living it the way the Lord God wants us to live it out. And I know that's difficult. But I'm saying that's how it operates in people's lives. Okay, so let's now turn to Luke and then we'll see how I'm just going to refer that. I'm not going to read that passage because time wouldn't allow it to quite a long passage. So the verse of Luke, that's chapter 12, verses 47 to 56 is the passage I use. But in verse 51, Jesus states the following. And this is critical for us to understand as Christians. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the, to the earth? <laughs> I remember the first time I ever read that, I thought, whew, why would Jesus say that? And he says, no, I have come to bring division. Why would that be? Because Jesus Christ brings truth because he is the truth. 
And many people do not want the truth. And so division develops. And that's, that's the problem. And so he says, uh, No, I tell you, but rather I come to bring division. Some versions say I come to bring a sword, but division is probably the best word. And, and Jesus ordered, uh, proceeds then to relate this to families. Father, son, mother, daughter, mother-in-law, son, daughter-in-law, that type of thing. And he goes on down through that in that passage. But beyond that, we can easily apply that to the conflicts of life that we must pass through at times. And we see, and we see that. I just want to mention some of these. It applies to these conflicts of ideology. And, and we grow up with these ideology or we take them onto ourselves and they are the things that motivate us to act and, and react at times to situations that come our way. And I just want to mention some of these that we're dealing with in this day and age, right now in this day and age in 2019 and, and in the rest of the century. We have, okay, pharmaceutical systems that we're dealing with. Anybody who deals with Medicare and, and, and insurance, you know you're dealing with, with, with that whole system. And then there's the economic system that we're dealing with all the time. And then there's the uh, health, the uh, uh, I've got it written. Oh, scientific system that we're dealing with. Science is good, but some of it is beyond our belief system of, of faith in God's Word. And then there's the political system that we deal with. There's the educational system we deal with. There's the medical system that we deal with. We have all of these things. And what's the difference between uh, a theocracy in which God controls all things and our, our man-made democracy? Because man's in it. And, and uh, we find out after a while that everything that man does is not perfect. Man has flaws in his systems. And then once in a while, you and I get caught up in one of these systems that we live under. And we have to manage our way through it, wiggle our way through it till we come out on the other end, go through all the paperwork and do all these things that just do nothing but undo our normal lifestyle. And so that's what we're dealing with here. And so Jesus is saying, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring divisions. So that you have to struggle with these things. And they're going to happen to everybody. Nobody's going to escape this because the systems are established by man and man is not perfect. And so these, these uh, issues are, are finally said. Jesus then finally asks in verse 56, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He asks that of his disciples. You don't know how to interpret the present time. And my question is very similar to that, that I've asked myself, do, do we as American people rightly interpret the times that we're living in? I think many people do not. Some do, and some just don't care. And, that's, and, and that also is, a, is a, 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 a problem for each of us to deal with. And those people that don't care can even be in our personal families. And we have to deal with them, deal with the situation that they bring out. So are we Christians then uh, understanding the shift and the drift? 
of our nation? The value systems? The spiritual life of our nation? Are we aware of the times? Have we forgotten the creator of the new covenant? Jesus Christ? We have to ask ourselves some of these hard questions sometimes rather than just go blithely along. If we're going to sing that song, I Surrender All, then we need to know that this creator of the new covenant is alive and well. He's real. So Jesus Christ, as God the Son, is watching, he's waiting, he's anticipating that we, as his followers, are going to make the right moves. And that we will stand our ground, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. That's the calling that you and I have. It doesn't make any difference whether you're in the pulpit or in the pew. We have that calling because we committed ourselves to Christ to follow him. And in following him, there's an expectation. Dare I say an expectation of performance? You can ponder that. So, are we really willing to proclaim Jesus Christ at any price? Yeah, pastor says, ouch. I've said, ouch, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Whew. Are we willing to proclaim Jesus Christ at any price? Are we willing to proclaim that, that this cultural shift away from the from Jesus Christ and God the Father is dangerous to our families and to our descendants, to our children, our grandchildren, and thereafter? If our culture shifts far enough away from Jesus Christ, how will God the Father deal with it? Will He deal with it the same as He dealt with Israel? The northern kingdom, and then 121 years later, the southern kingdom. These are difficult things. Now, I don't want to scare anybody. I just want to give us something to think about because that's the world we live in. It is dangerous. It can be dangerous for our society, for our nation, for our people, for our loved ones. And so, some of these uh, shift in cultural things are really idolatrous. When you look around, well, just watch television for, for an evening. Oh, my goodness. You'll see hedonism. Oh, I just need that thing. They're just advertising that. And it's, and it's $2.40 cheaper than the other one. I'll go buy that one. Right? I, need, I need that. I have to go get it. We're drawn. That's Madison Avenue, New York. They're, they're just sucking us into those kinds of things. And sometimes we succumb. Sometimes we say, I don't need that. I'd rather take the $2.49 and give it to the Lord. It's more important to me than that thing. Or then there's narcissism. Have you ever seen that television? This guy comes out with this, this razor, you know, and he's plucking his eyebrows and he's picking out this little eyebrow and, and, he's, and he's patting himself on the face. And that's narcissistic as ever, if anything could be. And that's a problem we have in our culture. It's all about how I look, how I feel, how I how I dress. Nothing the matter with that, but it goes too far, it becomes narcissistic. And then that takes us away from our faith walk. 
also. And so, these, what I'm saying here is, folks, that regardless, faith in Jesus Christ overrules all of this that I've just mentioned. Because it's our guide and our, and our equipment for moving through life. And so we, we move through life by faith. And now I want to take us into Hebrews chapter 11 and see what, what has happened in the faith walks of people through history. Just because we are in faith and we live in that faith domain doesn't mean that bad things can't happen to us because they can, as we'll see here in the book of Hebrews. And then if you've been in Hebrews much, you have read this chapter 11, the great faith chapter, and you see what these people have went, went through. I just want to state some of the Old Testament issues first. <laughs> they, they passed through the Red Sea. They overcame Jericho. They conquered kingdoms. They escaped the sword. They withstood torture and hunger, driven from their homes. They overcame floggings. They, they were stoned to death. And uh, Scripture says, uh, history tells, Christian history tells us Isaiah was sawn in two. Good grief. And then the New Testament, people are burned at the stake. This all happened in the 16th century. People were burned at the stake for their faith. And they were driven to desperation. And some were persecuted and some were tortured. And I have a book on my shelf at home. It's called By Their Blood. And it's a story of the 20th century persecution of Christians. And, and you may not know this, but there were more Christians persecuted in the 20th century than all the centuries from Christ to the 20th century. That's a fact. And when you read that book, it just it, it makes you cringe that that kind of thing could happen. People are persecuted for their faith. Yes, thank you, brother. Yeah. Still happening. That's the world we live in. And story after story in that book. I, I, I could only read a few pages at a time. It was so bad. Just, it just it's un, it's undoing when you read a, a situation like that. But that's the world we live in. So today around the world, Christians are still driven from their homes. They're jailed, incarcerated. They are enslaved. They are tortured. And they suffer deprivations beyond our imagining. And these are the ones that keep their faith. We should look up to those people, folks, honestly. I don't live in any deprivation. Anybody that's on Social Security today can, can uh, get by. They watch how they spend their money. That's not deprivation. Some people complain, of course, but that's not really deprivation. That's not what these persecuted Christians are going through. So these are the great cloud of witnesses who ran their race, and we now have our race to run, and we must run it by faith, or there's going to be problems for us emotionally and spiritually. Faith is the calling that we have, and that's the, that's the race that we are called to run. And so, as we run our race, 
let us know that regardless of what is going on in the world, what is happening to us in, in our environment, in the, the greater world in America, and every day the news seems to be something that's tragic or horrible, how are, how are you and I going to make our way through this maze of life that God has given us if we don't have faith? What else do we have? Our faith in Christ must be the essential ingredient of our very being. Otherwise, we, can't survive. we won't survive like God Almighty wants us to survive. <laughs> it's that simple. And maybe I've lived too long. Any of you ever feel like you've lived too long? Sometimes I think that. Well, what am I still doing live? <laughs> but the longer you live, the more you think on life. You have more experiences to look back and more things to remember through history. And who, wants, who wants to live to be a Methuselah in this day and age? Not I. Thank you, Lord. All right. Here, here, here is the punchline, I believe, of this whole thought that I'm giving you today. Was, I'm asking you a question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was faithful? Yes, he was faithful. <laughs> he taught it. What did he say to the disciples? Oh, ye of little faith, when the storm came up on the boat. Oh, ye of little faith. He taught faith. And then he lived faith. Always going into prayer. Always seeking the Father's will for, because he believed that he and the Father were one. And they, what the Father said, he said. What the Father thought, He thought. What the Father was going to do, He would do. He lived it. And then He demonstrated faith at the cross. Father, forgive them. He believed the Father would forgive these people that had done all this damage to His body. He lived that faith. Died with that faith. And then he rose again from the dead with that faith that the Father would eventually return him back to the throne. And so we have to ask ourselves, can I possibly have that level of faith? That my faith will take me back to the throne room of God one day? Just think about that, friends. Just think about it. That's where I want to be. I pray that's where all of you want to be. Because that's where we'll be joyous forever. No more bodily aches. No more bad eyes. No more bad hips. No more sore backs. No more knees that don't function. And other body parts that malfunction. You know, that won't happen. You don't speak from experience. <laughs> I have a little experience. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, okay. So I'm, I'm asking you today. Do any of you here today think or wonder if you may lack that kind of confidence to develop that kind of faith? Where would it, where could you find it? A faith that regardless of what happens, it'll overrule everything that happens to me. Well, I want to share with you what Jesus said in John 15. Look what he says here in John 15. These are classic words. Some Bibles use the word abide. Some Bibles use the words remain. But this is the key, I believe. 
Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Who has all the power of the universe? Who is supreme? Who is sovereign? Jesus Christ. And if he is in us, abiding in us, folks, we can accomplish everything. And it's like Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What a powerful, positive passage. And all of this stuff that happens to all of us through life doesn't matter really. In the end, it's not the body that the Lord God wants. It's our spirit because the spirit's eternal. He's going to give us a new body one day. We'll be transfigured. Won't that be great? I can't wait. (laughs) Some of you maybe not. Maybe you're waiting, but uh, still that's going to be wonderful (laughs) to have a perfect body. So that's it. And, And if we have... Now, one more thought here. If... Jesus Christ is abiding in the Father so that he can minister the life of God to the people. And the Father is abiding in him. I'm saying to all of us this morning that we have the same ability, the same avenue of and source of power if we abide in Jesus Christ. And we do it regularly enough that we know we live in Him. And we know He lives in us. So, time's gone. This wasn't supposed to be a long sermon. I apologize for that in a way, but no, I don't apologize for it. (laughs) But here we are, though. I just want to close off now. If we understand what this concept, this proposition is that God has laid out for us in His Word, and we find it place after place after place in the lives of many people throughout Scripture, that they operated in faith, believing that God knew what He was doing when He placed them in a certain spot to accomplish something or just to live out their lives. If we know that, and we believe that Christ abides in us, then we have that eternal present power to live our lives in a way that will always, and I use that word carefully, will always, through the faith element in us, be able to overcome and overrule all the stuff that happens in our lives. So, and we know that we live a resurrection life. The Apostle Paul tells us that. That's where victory is. Victory is not in, in not being in Christ. Victory is only found in Christ. And so, let us be able then to never, never let go of that faith that we have. Never allow anything else to mess with it, to take our minds away from that great faith that we have. It's the only way we have eternal salvation, folks. Praise God. Amen. That's, that's my belief. That's why I chose this passage to deal with the. I may not have done it really fully justice, but I know that that's the truth that we all need. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ who came for our lives to change us, to bring us closer to him, and to finally be so intimately related to him that he and us are one. That Christ is everything that we are, and that your spirit will continue to minister those living truths to us day by day, 
that we may live it out for this world that we live in. Thank you again for placing us where we are, for giving us the years of our lives that we have, for all the new young people that are coming into this world, and for us older people who are slowly phasing out. We've had our turn. We've done our things. And we, Lord, know that in faith you have been with us all the way through. Thank you again for your wonderful love and the peace that you give us in that wonderful, intimate relationship we have with you, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.